I do have a challenge for you guys this morning. I think it's a good challenge. I feel very confident in this challenge because I, I, I just feel like there's something, there's something here for us. Um, you know, we started the way of peace, and, and it, maybe you guys, have, as you looked at this, have noticed what we're doing each week as we have a different focus. These are really just the spiritual disciplines that Christians have been practicing for a really long time. Like silence and solitude, like scripture meditation, rest and Sabbath. And the reason why Christians have been practicing these things for a long time, when they get intentional, is because this is how Jesus himself lived. He practiced these things. And uh, so as we continue to walk through them, our goal is that we could walk with the Prince of Peace. Because everywhere he went, he gave peace. And uh, uh, that is, that's, our, uh, that's our desire here, that we could know peace internally and then be able to speak into this chaotic world and speak peace and bring, bring heaven's peace. And this week in our home group, we meet on Tuesdays, and in our home group, we ask the question, um, what are some things that bring you peace and what are some things that take them away? Peace and joy. You know, you guys who are in home groups probably ask that same question. And the number one thing that came out actually surprised me. I w thought it would be something specific like the news or something like that. But it, it, you know what it was? It was negativity. Negativity has a draining effect on us. And it tends to rob us of peace and joy. And I thought, that is fascinating. And it's also a perfect segue into what I want to talk about this week, which is contentment and gratitude. Um, we have uh, preached many sermons over the years, Joshua and I, on gratitude, thanksgiving, all kinds of... But, you know, I don't, we were talking about this morning, I don't think we've ever specifically uh, done a sermon on contentment. And I'm so excited to bring this to you because I'm seeing it as we started looking at this really in the summer, and I, I started seeing it everywhere in Scripture, especially in Psalms. And I feel like there's an invitation to all of us um, that's maybe a little bit different than we've ever presented. So this might be a challenge for you. So I want to lay this out um, for your consideration uh, this morning. I see it everywhere, especially, um, especially in the Psalms. The, the reason why I think we have such a, a difficult time here in the West in dealing with sorrow and dealing with negativity, or one of the reasons, is because we have this idea that if we can just get enough pleasure... That'll balance out the sadness, you know? Because we have this thing that we think pleasure equals happiness. Well, it doesn't. I don't think this is true. I think these are two different things. And I know Joshua touched on this uh, uh, several weeks ago, talking about dopamine and serotonin. You remember, it was a really great word. Because uh, pleasure usually involves like a dopamine hit, you know? You've got like this little, this little pang, you know? Uh, and so we, we seek it. It usually involves an elevated heart rate. We watch, watch something exciting. You go on a Netflix binge. We go for sugar. We go for caffeine or alcohol. We hear the ding of social media on our phones, all of those things give us little bursts of pleasure. Or it can be a bigger burst. Can I tell you one of my dopamine of choice? Basketball. I love watching sports, basketball and football, uh, but especially, man, there's something about watching my Dallas Mavericks 
That's just, I, I love it. And, and back in August, I, had, I think I had preached a sermon, gone home, taken a nap, woke up, and it was Sunday afternoon. It was a, a, a playoff game of the Mavericks against the Clippers. And I was so excited to watch. I didn't expect much because it, we're just, our team was overmatched, you know, and I knew this. Um, and our, our star player, Luka Doncic, had a sprained ankle. And so he was hobbling along the whole game, but somehow he somehow still had 40 points and 12 rebounds and 17 assists, and he was playing out of his mind. So I'm getting very nerdy with you guys. And, and so I'm watching, and I'm having such a good time, and my heart rate's elevated, and I'm invested in this game, and I've got not only dopamine, but I got adrenaline, right? And you get right to the, the end of the game, and I, my heart starts to sink because I'd seen it so many times this year when we just lost these close games. Yes, I said we. Yes, because I'm part of the team in my heart. <laughs> We're down by one point. Three seconds, thank you. Thank you, man. We're down by one point with three seconds. Inbound the ball in overtime to my man, Luka Doncic. He takes two dribbles, and he launches a 27-foot bomb, a three-pointer. The buzzer sounds, and the ball goes in. I went ballistic. I lost my mind. I started running through my empty house screaming. Oh, my God! Oh, my gosh! Oh, my God! You see that? And then I find out it wasn't an empty house because my daughter Emily, who's sitting in the back, was sitting in her room rolling her eyes, <laughs> listening to this. That was pleasure. It was so exciting. It was so much fun. But you know what? If you try to live by those three-point buzzer shots alone, that's not going to equal happiness. Pleasure is short-term. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't think that pleasure in itself is a bad thing. God created it, right? He gave us taste buds. Do you ever think about that? How unnecessary are taste buds? He's, we don't need them. We have it so we can enjoy food. Isn't that cool? Like, there's all, you can, this is about all kinds of things. So it's not that it's a bad thing, but it's not a big enough thing to build your life on. And, and, and if you try to rely on it too much for, for peace and joy, you got another thing coming. Pleasure and happiness are different. Happiness doesn't come from things that are fleeting. Happiness, I really believe this is joy. I think this is biblical. Happiness comes from contentment, a contented heart. And contentment is all over the scriptures. And it's one of these things that when I started looking for, I was seeing it everywhere. Not just the word, but the concept and pictures of what it looks like and pictures of what it looks like are different than what we tend to seek out. Like I said, especially in the Psalms. It's my favorite book, of course. Here's a great one. We've, we've looked at this verse a few times. Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. This is not a nursing child. This is not a child that is frantic for food. This is a child who is resting because he's eaten. This is a child who trusts his mother, and it is enough. That's a beautiful picture of contentment. Can you see how it's different than pleasure? 
It's not fleeting. It's not a rush. It's not exhilaration. It's being able to exhale. It's being able to exhale and just be thankful, you know? The Apostle Paul referred to contentment as a secret. I like this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether, all, uh, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't it funny how we usually have that, second, that last line there sort of clipped out, you know? Like, hey, can, can, I, can I ace this test today? Yes, because Philippians 4.13, I can do all <laughs> like, <laughs> Which is fine. Like, it's, but the larger context here is really something. It's saying, I can do all things through Christ. I, even if I have nothing, I can still be content and, and still be happy like that weaned child with his mother. Even if I have nothing, even if the world turns against me, I can still have him This is why in that same letter, he's like, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm in prison. You guys know that. They might kill me. Okay. Either way. Like, they could kill me. I don't even know. They could kill me. They could release me. I could be poor. I could be You know what? It doesn't really matter because I have him. Like, what kind of guy is this? Do you know that's, that's our birthright? This is part of our heritage as believers, is we can be content in whatever situation. Now, why is this so hard? Well, one of the reasons this is so hard is that we are Westerners. And in the modern West, more equals better. And we've seen so much abundance that when we don't have abundance, or we're not in a place where it's not enough abundance, we start to get insecure. And our joy level and our peace level starts to plummet, and we start to get angsty. This is part of consumer culture. Now, part of the reason is that there are places like in business, more sales equals more revenue. That's better, right? Like, there are things where that works, but when it starts to cross over into our own personal lives, we start to believe that more in every situation is better, but that's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, it gives us a, a much different picture. But we think, we need more. I need more news. I need more information. I need more dopamine. I need more ice cream. I need more coffee. I need more beer. I need more movies. I need more games. I need more distractions. Help me. That's the world we live in. And, and it's, it's, this mindset has seeped into all kinds of different places. One of those most obvious one of the most obvious places has crept in is our own personal, like, financial situations, right? Look at, the, look at what Paul says here to Timothy. False teachers are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. <sighs> That's heavy words, isn't it? 
And I know there's all kinds of disclaimers that immediately we, we want to bring out in our kind of context. So, okay, he's not saying that money itself is evil, which is totally true. He's not saying that. It's the love of money. It's, it's, you know, it's not having things that's wrong. And I, there's all these disclaimers, but for, for, let's only look at what he says here. Because I think sometimes the disclaimers uh, are the loud part, and what he says is the quiet part. What he says, what he actually says here is that if you are wanting to be rich, you're opening yourself up to temptations where it's more is never enough. And many people have wandered away from the faith because of this. And that is a temptation, or that, that, is, that is a thought that we have to grapple with. It's very, very true. And, and, but if you believe that more is always better, I, this is difficult because we have entire theologies in the West that are based on the opposite. This idea that God wants us all to be filthy rich and all we have to do is requisition that car or that jet or whatever that is. And you guys, that, I don't think that's scripture. I think that's an unfortunate American heresy that we've somehow twisted because we think more is better, so that must mean over here too. It's not true. Paul warns us of the opposite. Here, he's even more explicit right here. Ready? Keep your life free from the love of money. <laughs> okay. And be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is this a challenging word from Paul? Or uh, this is from the writer of Hebrews. I don't know if it was Paul or not. But this is a challenging word, isn't it? What is it? The word for, I love this. He says, for, he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So in other words, it's like because. Be content with what you have because God has promised to be with us all the time. That's why we can be content. That's why we don't have to obsess over money. That's why we don't have to try to build our own kingdoms, our own empires. We don't have to obsess over those things. Why? Because we got him. Because we got him. Do you see what a beautiful thing this is that he's inviting us into? The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Does that sound like anything else to you? It sounds to me a lot like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's because the Lord is our shepherd, you guys, because he's our shepherd, that we shall not want, that we shall not be in need, that we shall not be in a constant desire to have more, that we shall not be dissatisfied with what we have because we keep thinking about tomorrow. We don't need more, more, more because we have our shepherd and he will lead us everywhere we need to go. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I heard a very interesting story by a teacher years ago uh, named Ray Vanderlaan, and he had, he had flown out to the Holy Lands and, and studied there. That he had spent a, a, like a weekend with some shepherds, and a, apparently the way that they roll is sort of like they did 3,000 years ago with David. I mean, sort of roam the countryside, sleep under the stars, and take your sheep to you know the next place. Well, he's hanging out with these like teenage shepherds, just trying to get some insight into what this was like. And you know, it's not like the Oregon countryside. I mean, there's a lot of very arid places, and, 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 and so he, the shepherds go, and there's this real rocky area, 
uh, but it had rained like the day before, and so there were these little shoots of grass, all just little shoots coming between the rocks. And uh, the shepherds lead the sheep right over there, and the sheep are eating. And so he says, that's really interesting. What, is there a name for this kind of grass? This is really cool. And they said, yeah, green pastures. And they know what they had said. And they said to him, listen, you Westerners have taken the 23rd Psalm and made it into a picture of knee-deep alfalfa. That's not the picture. The picture is you have enough because you go with the shepherd and the shepherd leads you to, what you, to, to where he needs to take you and will, will give you what you need today. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you see that? That's a much different picture. We can trust that he will take care of us. Not because we have storehouses and storehouses if we don't have enough today, don't worry, we've got another pantry. That's not, the, that's not the picture. And not that it's wrong to have that. In fact, it's good. We should be planning. We should be, I, and all of that. So please hear me. But where is our security? And he's, he's given us this invitation. It doesn't have to be in the material world. It can be in him. It can be in him. In other words, we can live differently than the West. We can live differently than what our American culture tells us. We can live in a, a freer way where we rely on Christ. But it's not just our finances that dissatisfaction can creep in, that discontent can creep in. There's more areas, because this is the culture where we swim. One of those, ironically, is our own relationship with the Lord. We can get this sort of angsty, more Lord kind of thing that's real, this deep sort of guttural thing. You know, especially, honestly, in church cultures like ours where we believe in the movement of the Holy Spirit. We believe he's done great, great things throughout the world. We believe he's still doing great things. We believe in miracles. We believe in these things. And sometimes... And I'm saying this as someone who has fallen into this trap on many occasions. Sometimes we end up in this thing where we're like, Lord, like we're trying to work ourselves up into something. More, Lord, like we want him to do a certain thing right now. And it's not enough that he's right here for us. In fact, we forget that he's right here for us. And it's a discontented posture. And I dare say, I think... I think it's an immature posture. I don't see glimpses in this sort of, this deep striving of like, God, you're going to have to do something. You've got to send revival. You've got to do something. I don't see like this contented child sitting with his mother, the weaned child. I don't see that there. In fact, I feel like it's a much different picture. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of a comical picture to me. It reminds me a little bit of a kid in the backseat of his car on a road trip, you know? More food, mom. You just ate. <laughs> well, I need more. Really? Like, we'll stop at dinner time. Don't worry. Like, Lord, mom, come on. You know, I, I feel like that's sort of what that is. I heard a teacher, <clears throat> Eric Johnson, one time talking to a group of a bunch of crazy charismatics, much like we ourselves might be called. And he said this. He's like, sometimes there's this desperation and I'm like, why is everybody so desperate? Like this deep, like starving hunger for the Lord. Ah! And he's like, he's right here. 
He's like, you have, a, you have a full refrigerator. Why are you so desperate? And I thought, wow, I think he's right. I think he's right. If we have a mom and dad, you know, we're growing up, you have a, a, parents who love, you don't have to hide food, you know? You just come. Hey, I'm hungry. Great. This is what I'm here for. Let me feed you today. Sometimes we do this with the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes I think we act a little bit like orphans who are in a strange house when he's saying, you don't have to be orphans. I'm your father. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I believe there's a posture that he's inviting us into that's not a posture of striving and not a posture of screaming out for him to do something that we want him to do. He does new things all the time, and he's working in visible ways all the time. And I think he's inviting us to come to a place of contentment where we say, Lord, I believe that you're working. The Lord is my shepherd, and that is enough for me. I believe that's what he's, what he's offering. The great philosopher Junior Asparagus said this, <laughs> a thankful heart is a happy heart. Some of his finest writings a thankful heart is a happy heart. I believe we need to cultivate a heart of gratitude. A thankful heart is a happy heart. You know, this can be a hard thing in ministry, too. Because sometimes we have an idea of what we want God to do in Christ Center and in the community. And, and you know, sometimes we don't see it because sometimes we're just off. We have a different idea of what God's doing. Or sometimes the timing's off or whatever. And sometimes that can be really hard as ministers of the gospel. Like, Lord, why don't you do this thing, Lord? And we have to come remind each other. This is why ministry as a team is a wonderful thing, beautiful thing. Because we can come remind each other, like, hey, remember that he's moving. Do I need to remind you some of the things he's done lately? And we, we have to do this with each other all the time. He is moving. He is at work. No, he's not on your schedule. And you know what? That's probably a good thing. He's not on your schedule. He is working. Can we trust that he's working at his speed and in his way? Can we trust like a contented, weaned child leaning against his mother? I think the one who does this best, pro I don't know about best, but who does this really well on our team is, is my wife, Sarah, as she's working with the kids. I don't know if you guys, I know a lot of you guys have volunteered in kids' ministries, but, you know, it's not always some somber, you know, quiet time where revival is just breaking out and people, the Lord's doing deep, like, if that's what you're expecting, that is what some people expect, like, oh, that goes, you're not going to see that most of the time, because children are children, and they have tons of energy, and they are so excited, and then so mad, and like, they have all the range of emotions, and sometimes it's chaotic in there, and, and, I, I, you could get really down, like, man, what's, what's the Lord even doing to these kids? You know what my wife's thing has been? She said, look, sometimes all you're going to get is 30 seconds, 30 good seconds with a kid. You know what? They, they, that kid pulled his hands and he prayed, and he prayed earnestly to God today for his mom. And that was a beautiful moment, and that's all we got today, but hey, that's enough. That's all we got today. And that's enough. And that's been what she's carried. That's what she's carried with my son, too. Maybe you don't have everything you want today. 
But you know what? God did something. There is something, and that's enough. So we're going to celebrate that thing. I think that's what God's inviting us into. Like, maybe we don't have to strive, guys. Maybe we don't have to try to work ourselves into some frenzy, and the Lord will finally work. He's not waiting to see you sweating drops of blood in order for him to work. Do you know that he loves us even more than you do? He loves us more than I do. In other words, we don't have to twist his arm. Joshua and I fought over this topic. Not fought about the content. We were very much agreed in the content. But we fought over this sermon, which I don't feel like has really happened before, has it? Usually it is. But this one we did because we were planning out the way of peace and we really felt like contentment and gratitude needed to be in here. And he wanted to preach this, but so did I. So we went into the octagon. Not really. We, <laughs> he finally relented because he was being the bigger man of the two of us. I wanted this one so bad. Do you know why? Here's why I wanted this one. Because I've had to fight for this, guys. This is not something that comes easy to me. It used to. But then my heart broke. And my heart broke for my son. And many of you guys remember when we first came here in those early days, I was so sad all the time because I realized there's things that I might never experience with my son, Jack, who has severe autism, and he's 14. And there's been seasons where the Lord's brought me out, and then there's been seasons where that sadness still hits me, and I think, why am I not over this yet? One of those happened, uh, we, were on our, we were up at um, Odell Lake, um, and we're just sitting there, and he was having such a good time. We were sitting on the dock looking at this lake, and I knew he was happy, and I'm like, what do you like about this, Jack? And I look into his eyes, and for a second, I think maybe he'll answer, you know? And then he, he doesn't, and, and, and still that can hurt. And that's a hard thing, because there's sometimes there's something we want so badly and so it's hard to, to, like, pull yourself up and be grateful. But, you know, I have a friend of mine who's also a dad in a similar situation. And he said this, and I think about this often. He says, if you're always looking at what your son doesn't have, you're going to miss who he actually is. If you're so focused on things that we wish were different, then when can we ever celebrate for what we have in front of us. My son doesn't speak, and sometimes that breaks my heart, but you know what? It doesn't break my heart as much anymore. You know why? Because my son's beautiful, and my son, I know him in lots of different ways. I know that he loves Disney and Pixar movies, and he loves to quote them, and I know that he loves to carry his iPad around and listen to Jungle Jam and Friends Adventures. And I know that when people come over and pull out guitars and drums, he wants to be right in the middle playing the drum. You see, he's a beautiful boy, and I can see that and love him for everything he is, even though I don't have everything that I want. And there were times when I would cry out, Lord, do something, do something. I'd cry out, travail, that maybe there would be speech, and maybe there will someday. But you know what? I don't scream for it anymore. I just don't. I don't cry out for that anymore. I remind God that that's still a thing, but I don't scream out for it because I love him for who he is. Do you see what I'm saying? 
This crosses over into all our areas, guys. What if we stopped looking at the deficiencies or things we wish were different and just said, thank you, Lord, for what you've given me today? This is an invitation he's given to all of us, that the Lord is my shepherd and that is enough for me. That I don't always have to cry out more, more, more. That maybe that's more American than Christian. And maybe just opening our hands and thanking God for everything he's done for us and everything that he is doing for us. Maybe this is just a better way to roll. Maybe this is the way of Jesus. Maybe this is why he wasn't so angsty. What if we just adopted these words? The Lord is my shepherd and that is enough for me. Where is your place of perceived lack? Is it financial? Is it spiritual? Maybe you have a relational breakdown. Maybe tension between husband or wife or father or daughter. Wherever that thing is, you could constantly travail in prayer over that thing. Or you could pray and remind him and then thank God for the little things he is doing, even the unseen things. Because he is working in the shadows, guys. He is working on your behalf. I promise you. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Psalm 4, 6 or 7 from, from the message. Why is everyone hungry for more? More, more, they say, more, more. I have God's more than enough. More joy in one ordinary day than they get in all their shopping sprees. A day's end, I'm ready for sound sleep, for you, God, have put my life back together. <laughs> You've put my life back together. What more could he do for us? He doesn't actually have to do more. This is the crazy thing. He doesn't have to keep going and keep blessing us and keep, he doesn't have to, but he keeps doing it. And he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. So if he's putting us back together, don't you think we can trust him for tomorrow? Like maybe he, maybe he really won't leave us or forsake us. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to be that child and lean against your mother. Lean against our Heavenly Father. I want us to learn to say that in hard situations, to say, Lord, you are my shepherd, and that is enough. Let's pray. The Lord's speaking to you. Can you just stand to your feet? I'm just going to pray over you. Lord, you see our need. And it's on that basis that we stand, that you do see our need. And Lord, with that need, we say, you are our shepherd, and that is enough. 
But God, we recognize this is hard in this culture. It's hard to silence all the sadness. It's hard to silence the sorrow. It's hard to silence the culture that wants to cry out in all different ways. So Lord, I pray that you would give the beautiful gift of contentment to these souls, to all of us, Lord, that we could sigh deeply in real trust that you are our shepherd and you are enough. Help us to receive this gift, Lord, because it's hard to receive. And we thank you. We thank you for putting our lives back together. And we thank you for working in us still. In Jesus' mighty name we ask. Amen. Amen. If you guys need prayer for anything, we are here. We'd love to pray with you. Please be at peace. Thank you.